You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's episode 89 of the Pimp Crown Warhammer Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in to listen to me talk about things and stuff. Tonight, I have my friend Josh, otherwise known as Beastman, joining us, and he is going to be talking about the 10 principles of the Art of War by Sun Tzu, and we are going to apply this to Warhammer, and I think it's a pretty good conversation. I think uh, you will be surprised at how many warfare principles actually do apply to this game, despite it being with silly miniatures. We also have a Tesseract mailbox from one of our Patreon sponsors, Grendel, and he has several questions for me. Um, He's talking about... The Inquisitor model we reviewed, he's talking about Illuminor Ceres, he's talking about um, hero clicks and things like that. So, lots of stuff going on in that letter. You'll just have to listen to that segment. And we, of course, finish that off with Illuminor Ceres, Want That or Want That Not, with the new model. And that is just me for that segment. So, what have I been up to? Well, I am so, so very nearly done the Brutality Skirmish War game rulebook. I have, in this past week since the past episode, I have finished the cover. I have finished writing the 100 pages to the rulebook, and now I am about 60% done with all of the editing, going word by word, letter by letter, and trying to proofread and edit everything. I've also had some other people volunteering to, you know, read the lore and read the rules and things like that. So we are very, very close to that. Um, And I am very excited. So it is going to be a full-color high-quality, hardback rulebook, and this is such a source of pride for me because this is my pride and joy, this is my baby game system, and it's not a game system involving babies, it's it's not even a game system for babies, but it's kind of my baby and it's a game system, if that's what, if you didn't get the metaphor, and I am very, very proud of it. It's been three years in the making and two years in open beta, and... If you have looked at the rules before, this new set of rules is so much more. Um, the The upgrade system has been almost doubled. There's brand new faction trait mechanics, and uh, there's even a new class called the Locus, which is pretty cool. It's basically a terrain piece. It doesn't have to be a terrain piece, but it's like a hub of... Um, uh, synergy for your army such as like a herdstone for beastmen or um, depending on what powers you give it you could actually make it like a turvagon pumping out babies or you could make it like an altar where people are sacrificing people to you know get different abilities and perks it's really neat um it is stationary though so it's a little different i will be once everything is edited and completely confirmed i will be making a very uh in-depth coverage of this whole rulebook and it is just amazing so if you think you know what brutality is i assure you you do not know what it is now because even though the core rules are all the same they've been the same pretty much since the get-go there are so many options and so much to do you could pretty much make any character from any game any movie tv show video game whatever if you have the model you can pretty much stat them out with however you want And uh, it is simple, yet 
deep with the character customization, and I'm incredibly proud of it. So, enough of that. Um, essentially, that is all I've been working on. Believe it or not, our work has, um, our season has picked up now with my in real life job, my IRL job, and we have been working every single day. So, I'm waking up early, about an hour before I have to for work, and I'm working on Brutality Rulebook, and then I work all day, and then I come home, I spend a little bit of time with my family, and then I spend several more hours working on the rulebook, because every single thing you see in this rulebook has been done by me. The editing, the writing, the, you know, not the artwork. The artwork is actually by an artist, but it is an incredible amount of work to make a 100-page rulebook, and it is a labor of love. So anyway, that is what we're talking about today, and um, that's pretty much it. I have not, I don't think I've done any hobbying this week. It's all been brutality and real life work. So let's get the show on the road, and as always, thank you so much for tuning into the PimpCon Warhammer podcast. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Now it's time for the Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have a letter from our Patreon subscriber, Grendel. He writes, Hey Pimkron, I've been enjoying all of the Want That, Want That Not segments with all the Sisters of Battle. I laugh every time Kron at 204 calls them men. <laughs> While I can see what you're saying about the new Inquisitor model, I think she fits right in the grimdark of 40k. The armor reminds me of other Inquisitor models in the past, and I feel the head is just a victim of a bad paint job. I have seen many posts that show that the GW Heavy Metal team can't paint good-looking female heads. They did the same for the limited edition Sister Map they just released. Speaking of Want That or Want That Not, have you seen the new Illuminor model? I have mixed feelings about it since he is my go-to Necron leader. I'm eager to see his new rules, but don't want them to change from the ones he has now. I am sad that his big psychic awakening quote-unquote power is a 9-inch bubble that may cause perils. That is not enough of a protection from all these crazy psychers. I was really hoping for the return of pariahs. It would be cool if we had a null bull if they had a null bubble like the Sisters of Silence. Lastly, I wanted to talk to you about Heroclix. I played Heroclix when it first came out. It felt like a simplified version of Mage Knight. I remember back in the day they would have limited uh, limited edition prize support to get you to play every week, and had special chase figures that were like one per case or sometimes even more rare. While the WizKids games were always very inexpensive to start, I hated how it was hard to get the powerful pieces to be even slightly competitive. I remember there were certain models that were given only to the winners of the championship, so there were only a handful in the country. We had a player that either won one of those pieces or paid $200 to $300 for it. Oh my gosh. He would then bring it to the local tournament to stomp all of us noobs. It was pretty rough trying to win in that meta. Usually you hoped for a sealed tournament for a chance, otherwise you were playing for second. Right when I was getting out of the clickies, I think they had switched to still giving out limited editions, but they were not the overpowered pieces they had once been. Part of the reason I got into 40k was there isn't any rare models. Yes, it's expensive, but if you focus on one army, the cost levels out and you only have a few things to get every couple years. Don't get me wrong, the competitive side still favors the person who can afford to switch with the meta every time it changes. The good thing is most local groups don't have these type of players. That is all for today. Hope everything is going okay. How is your mouth doing? I just had a wisdom tooth pulled last year, but at least I wasn't allergic to the meds. Take care, man. I hope to see you at the next Shorehammer, Grendel. 
Well, thank you, Grendel. I greatly appreciate you supporting us on Patreon and writing in and all of that nonsense. Uh, I also look forward to seeing you at Shorehammer this year. Very, very excited about this year. And my mouth is doing okay now, and I only have slight amounts of hives uh, from the medication. I'm shocked. I took it like, what, it was a week ago I stopped taking it? And I still like occasionally have some hives here and there, but my wife says that uh, it can stay in your system. You can still be having like a rebound reaction um, even after the steroids, you know, take off or whatever or wear off. So that's been fun. Otherwise, I'm on the mend. Everything's cool. So thanks for asking. I unfortunately have no idea. I can't really speak to what you guys were talking about for the Heroclix because I never played competitively. I would only play casually and make up my own narrative battles with, you know, Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six or whatever. And, um, you know, I just wasn't part of that world. I don't think I would enjoy being part of that rat race, like with Magic the Gathering or Heroclix, where you always have to constantly be, you know, buying the next new thing. And that's why I'm not part of the meta for Warhammer. I'm not going to constantly, you know, sell armies off to buy new armies because they're the, the neatest new thing. So, um, I am going to have to humbly disagree with you on that Inquisitor, though, Grendel. I just think, you know, it, it occurred to me. Do you know what the face of that Inquisitor looks like? Do you know that meme that is hand-drawn and it's like, uh, usually it has something to do with, like, the feels when something gives you the feels or when someone thinks something is not uh, fair and there's, like, a hand-drawn bald man that's crying in black and white and he's, like, kind of deformed, like it's a really bad drawing. That's what she looks like. That's the meme that she looks like, and it's just awful. It, it just... It's far beneath what GW is capable of, and I don't like it. Not to mention, I guess it's, like, like a little Aquila on her forehead, but like my daughter said, it looks like a mouth, so that's probably a bad paint scheme. But, um, maybe it's supposed to be a branding or something. I don't know. But, uh... As far as the new Illuminor model goes, you're going to have to wait until the next segment to hear my opinion on that, homeboy. As for his new abilities, or his alleged new abilities, yeah, that, that Peril 9-inch bubble is pretty much sucks. Like, it's far too small of a range to actually do anything, and it's kind of a letdown. What I'm hoping is that they are still going to release something for Pariahs, and I... I mean, I don't keep up on the leaks or anything like that, but I feel like they could still be holding that close to their vest because they haven't released the book yet. And they haven't... I don't think they declared that was it for it. I think a lot of people are assuming that Pariahs are not going to be in it and they've revealed everything, but I'm not entirely sure um, that that's what they've said or, or whatever, that this is definitely all of the entirety of things that are going to be in the new set. So... I am hoping that we do get Pariahs back, and if nothing else, I feel like they've heard plenty of people crying out for Pariahs, and plenty of people being disappointed that we got no Pariahs, so I feel like maybe, at least in the future, we may be getting a new Pariah unit or something like that. Um, Illuminor Serres, he's gotta have a new stat line. He's far larger than he was before, it seems, and um, I I really feel like he's gonna have more than just that Perils bubble, because if... If that is all he got, then that is really freaking lame. Um, and I am in agreement with you that I actually like his current uh, rules as well. So I'm hoping that he doesn't lose those current rules. I'm actually expecting them to get better because they want to sell a model. So we'll see how that goes. And that is it. Thank you very much 
Mr. Grendel, and you will hear the rest of my reply to this on the Tesseract Mailbox. Want that, or want that not? Welcome to Want That or Want That Not, and today we are covering Illuminor Ceres, the new released, or it's not released yet, the new leaked model for uh, the Necrons. And as you know, he's the spider-legged dude who's like uh, king of the cryptex or something. And our buddy Grendel was asking what I think of this. Well, I am going to answer his question with another question. Grendel, is it cheating if a miniature gives me a boner? I'm asking for a friend. No, this this model is so cool. I gotta tell you, it is so cool. Okay, so let's let's get into this here. Okay, now Luminar Ceres is already a pretty awesome looking model. The original one, he was much smaller because this is a gigantic base he's on now. But I believe he was on a 40 millimeter base before, and he was holding a skull, and he had a staff and his spider legs, and it's really neat. I mean, I, there's no problem with that old model. But this new model is so cool. It's got tons of stuff going on, and it's uh, it appears to come with a scenic base, and he's a much larger base. It looks like the model is much larger than it used to be. He is a very imposing figure. And the other one kind of looks rinky-dink compared to this, but dude, this guy, this guy is sucking the soul out of a person, or at least the blood out of a person. I'm not... Not entirely sure what's going on here, but, dude, that's amazing. He's got more than two arms. Like, I don't think the old model had more than two arms. No, he did have little, like, uh, scythes, I guess. But um, this new model has more than two arms, and his one arm is, like, pulling, making this little portal where he's pulling the blood or the soul out of this person. And it's just awesome. It's one of my favorite models they have made in recent years. Now, I thought I was in love with the Gazskull model, and then they had to pull out Illuminor Ceres, and this is just... I can't say enough cool things about this, or good things about it. His staff looks awesome. His body is awesome. He's got more than two arms. He also still has his little pincer things. He's got four spider legs. He's giant. He's bigger on a bigger base. I am beside myself. And even though I don't actually play named characters, because I, I just don't, uh, this guy is definitely a want that. Definitely, definitely a want that. And if for no other reason, this model and looking at it and using it is a great aphrodisiac, I no longer have to snort ground up rhino horn in order to perform. Now all I got to do is paint up this bad boy, put him on the shelf, and woo! I'm Ric Flair suddenly. <laughs> Seriously though, it is an awesome, it is such an awesome model. I'm afraid that I've said the word awesome too many times, but I mean, what else do you say? There's a guy, He's he's got his one leg on this guy and this guy's laying down and he's going oh god and he's got his arm in the air and Illuminor Ceres is pulling either the soul or I guess it's the flesh actually because it's stripping his one hand is a skeleton and he's pulling the flesh and blood out of this dude's body out of his eye and out of his hand and man it's beautiful 
It is a beautiful thing to behold. If you don't like this new Illuminor Serres model, you can just, just, I don't even know. I'm not going to threaten anybody over this model, but I'm telling, <laughs> I'm telling you, it is beautiful and it's kind of complicated. It's kind of complex, but man, they did a great, great job with this. So that is definitely, I want that for me. But you know, the problem is I can easily see this being a $60 model. Easily. Because the main reason would be the size of it. Gaskull guaranteed is going to be a $60 or $80 model. And this is going to be a higher level model too. I don't really know why they chose to redo a model that already had a new version of it. And also didn't look bad to begin with. I think it looked fine, but this is so much better. And he's also got one of the, um, I think it's a Blackstone behind him from the Blackstone Fortress. I think they mentioned Necrons uh, having something to do with that. And uh, absolutely love this. Absolutely want it. That's all I can say about it. Toodles. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey everybody, this is Real Talk with the Pimp Crown, and today I'm being uh, joined by, is it Goatman, is that what we agreed on? Uh, no, or horse, horse man? I, think it was, I think it was Beast Man, because there's already like a goat boy, so. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Alright, so the topic today is The Art of War by Sun Tzu, right? And um, it is obviously one of the uh, penultimate, I think would be the word, penultimate war strategy theory right. books ever made. And uh, actually, I have, believe it or not, I've actually read this book. It's not very long at all. It's like 50 pages or something. It's not, okay. it's not, it's it's not like real long. 13, I, I actually haven't read it. It's like, what, 10 different rules or 13 chapters or something like that? I don't remember. It was like two years ago I read it, and um, what I'm going off by now is um, just the like the, the major principles. There's ten like major principles of this book, because okay. he actually, I remember last time I read it, um, he actually repeats himself a lot. Like there's a there's a lot of um <laughs> stuff like you know I don't know. Don't be a dick okay. in chapter one, <laughs> and then there's don't be a dick in chapter four. Like it's whatever. Maybe that's one of the one of the ways to uh, to be good at war. Just repeat yourself over and over. <laughs> essentially yeah like he will so let's let's get started with this and this is how sun tzu's art of war appe uh, appeals to warhammer and how it applies to it so okay. the first one that i chose is appear weak when you are strong and strong when you are weak how do you think that applies to warhammer you let's say you you know you're playing a horde army and you have strength in numbers versus a harm an army that has a lot of behemoths so mm -hmm. Um, you might appear weak to the opponent or to people watching because you're just these little tiny uh, ungors, we'll say, versus like a, a big behemoth, but their strength in numbers. So even though it looks weak, it looks like a disadvantage. When uh, from appearances, it might be you might actually have a, a stronger or an advantage um, just yeah, for numbers. Actually, I think that is true, and it also applies because your behemoth. If you if you know the stats well enough and you know your behemoth probably can't do a whole lot of damage, it's still a giant monster and you can be aggressive with it and and try to scare the opponent, even though you know secretly like oh this is probably not going to do a whole lot. Right. So that would be the opposite of what you were saying. You know the strong when you're weak, weak when you're strong sort of you're thing. Right. 
Um, another yeah. thing that a lot of players I've ran into do is specifically, you know, Bliggity Blam Steve. Uh-huh. Old Steve from our group. He yeah. loves to act like he's going to lose. Like, he hems and hauls. And, and from the first turn, he'll be like, oh, oh, God, oh, I'm going to lose. Oh. And it's <laughs> it's actually really annoying. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> but and then most of the time he beats you. He's like trying to get in, you to lower your guard, do you think? Um, I really do think he is worried. I really right. think he he thinks he's going to lose, but he right. over worries about everything. But it does work, too. It does actually have an effect on you where, you know, if you knew by the end of the game he was going to win, you wouldn't go quite as easy as you do go on him because you start feeling bad. You're like, right. oh, hey, man, it's not so bad. Sort of sort <laughs> of thing. This. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um. Well, let's go on to number two. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Now, mm-hmm. we could take this several different ways. Um, now, obviously, we're playing a war game, so you got to fight. Like, that's kind oh, of right. a, you know. But <laughs> think about it this way. I was thinking about this. Subduing the enemy without fighting, you know, bravery and battle shock is not actually fighting the enemy. I mean, it's a result of fighting the enemy. But... Right. For instance, if you know your opponent has no command points left to make them auto-pass morale, mm-hmm. and you just keep hammering this giant unit, I mean, ha- like, do 15 models removed or something in one turn and really focus on it, right. you could wipe out the rest of the squad in battle shock. Just causing them to flee. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, I mean, it's a war game, so you still have to fight, but... Essentially, this is using fighting to kill more models without fighting. Right. But I can't say um, that I've ever, I've ever honestly, I mean, now that you make that point, it's it's on my radar. But I don't think I've ever actually played a game and had that on my mind. Like, I'm going to kill so many models that it makes a bunch of his flee. Like, I've never, that's never actually crossed my mind. I know that it, it's a, like you said, it's a pro- byproduct of, of melee, of combat, but never actually thought about it like that. Well, there's been there's been many times where um, personally, if I have ranged and I have melee units, I will be thinking. Let's say you've got that huge army of beastigors, you know, that huge unit. Um, right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sometimes I would normally shoot at a different unit, but if I know that you don't have your command point or whatever, and you're going to be vulnerable to battle shock, then I will set up a unit in the movement phase to charge you that I know will do some damage. And then I'll soften you up with shooting because I know that the shooting losses are going to stack with the melee losses, which are going to stack with the, the battle shock losses. Okay. So that, that is something. And sometimes that will make me shoot a unit that I normally would have gone after another unit, but I really want to stack that, that battle shock. Just to soften it up. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. All right, so number three is, this one's a little long. It's actually three in one. Now, I'm going to go slow because I want everyone to be able to actually wrap their mind around this, okay? If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. So in other words, if I think the way we can apply this to Warhammer is knowing the stats and the capabilities of both armies. Right. So if you and I are, are both going to play, if you know your list and you know my list and what they can do, you don't have to worry about the result of 100 battles because right. you're going to be able to gauge ahead of time how it's going to go, you know? There's a lot less if, guesswork in there. If you if you, you kind of know what to expect, you already know what to expect from your army if you played it enough and read your book. And then if you played the opposing army and models enough, then, yeah, it takes a lot of the, the guesswork out of it. 
Yep. And this is the second part here. If you know your army, but not my army, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. So essentially, you only know 50% of the equation. So you only mm-hmm. have a 50% chance of success. I mean, yeah, think about it. Think about how many gotcha moments we've had, you know, like where you get into combat, you think you know what's going to go on, and then your opponent's like, oh, well, by the way, I do this really awesome thing in close combat. And you never thought to ask, right. and you didn't know. <laughs> so, and then it's like, it's like an oh shit, like, oh man, this is gonna, this is gonna hurt, yeah. Yep. You end up making and more then, sacrifices if you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Yep. <laughs> and then the third section of this is, if you know neither your army or my army, you will succumb in every battle, which is like, yeah, no, duh. (laughs) If you have no idea what you're doing, things are going to go bad. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of of obvious. Right. But that's usually what I see. If I, if I play somebody more competitive or at a tournament, if um, those people, a lot of people like they know their stuff inside and out, which is one thing, but then they know my stuff inside and out too as well yeah. or every once in a while depending on what i'm playing they might know it better than me and i'm like oh shit i'm, I'm in trouble <laughs> that that's how i know i'm in trouble if they start like quoting my stats and some of their and some of my like command abilities and things like that i'm like i'm, I'm in trouble <laughs> yeah that's bad news right there um you know mm-hmm. we used to this is before you got into warhammer but we used to have a uh, player named alex and he was very um not the alex you know but a different alex uh, okay and um <laughs> He was very competitive. He was a very good, good, good tactician. And he would buy all the codexes just to read the rules for armies he doesn't play. And I'm like, yeah, that really is commitment. And uh, he would know. I mean, when I messed up with one of my armies, he's like, oh, you should blah, blah, blah. And he knew the rules to my army. I'm like, oh, God. So, (laughs) but. uh, Wow. That takes a lot of time, too. I mean, that's some that is some dedication. Yeah, I I bet in the year or so that he was with our group, I probably played him, let's say, 12 times. And I can think of the only two times I ever beat him. Like, that's he was wow. very, very good. Um, so, But I, I can picture both times, believe it or not, because it was so important <laughs> to me to actually beat him. All right. So, all right, let's go to number four and move on. Let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night. And when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. Okay. So how does that strike you? Make so, your plans dark and impenetrable. All right. So I guess your plans, they should be hidden. There shouldn't be anything obvious. That you should have something something hidden enough that your your opponent doesn't can't see what's coming. Um, yeah. And then uh, do it quickly. Do it decisively. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I guess that's a little harder for Warhammer too, because it's especially. I guess again, it depends on who you're playing. Um, if you know, if that person is really read up on the rules, or if they just kind of read on on uh, different uh, websites or for, you know Facebook pages that they read a lot of strategy type stuff, they kind of know what's going on in the the meta scene, and they're like, oh, well, if they're playing this, they can do these three things. But yeah. Not, hmm. Also. Um... I've also noticed that in in highly competitive games, when I've played people and it really, really mattered, players that are extremely good, like I said, Alex, was extremely good. Um, Not Loremaster Alex for people that listen to the podcast, but another Alex. um, He would even watch where you're looking. When it's your turn and your eyes are looking at what units and things like that, sometimes 
you know, you're you're thinking to yourself, hmm, I wonder if I should move this unit or whatever. And he would actually watch you looking at the models. <laughs> wow. Which right there is showing your plan because you're looking at your, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And uh, so it got to the point where if I had like, let's say a unit kind of hidden and I wanted him to forget about it, hopefully forget about it, is if it was like, let's say a unit, sometimes you forget about a unit in terrain or something. It's hidden pretty well right. visibly and, you know, I would make sure I don't ever look at that unit directly because I didn't want to remind him of where that unit was. And I mean, 70% of the time he'd probably remember it, but there was a chance. chance. Yeah. Hmm. So that's some pretty high, some pretty hardcore. (laughs) Yeah. That's some, uh, that's wow. Yeah. I wouldn't even, I would never even consider that. (laughs) Yeah. And start, start wearing with wearing sunglasses when I play. <laughs> like, like, like yeah, watching those, yeah, like watching those like high dollar poker tournaments. <laughs> dude, dude, how intimidating would that be if you if you meet your person at Shorehammer, right, and he's across the table from you, and he's wearing sunglasses, <laughs> got a hat pulled down and sunglasses. <laughs> oh my god, jeez, that would be really intimidating, actually. <laughs> um, you know, that's a that's a good way to get into the other opponent's head. If they can't go. see your eyes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the show weakness or when you're sh- when you're in strength, show weakness or weakness, show strength. And yeah, there you go. That'd be a way to kind of work that. Yeah. Another term for that would be peacocking, too. You know, right. like uh, doing the dating scene when they want to uh, attract attention to themselves or whatever. All right. Well, this is this is kind of a way of doing that. Popping so your collar. let's pop your collar, man. <laughs> I, I would be unnerved if I <laughs> popped this collar. <laughs> <laughs> all right so number five number five is victorious warriors win first and then go to war while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win okay now so victorious warriors win first and then go to war so i feel like this is more of an information thing once again like we keep talking mm-hmm. about where you've already read the lists you already know the stats and you already have a plan. The The problem I fall into is that I care so much about the strategy and so little about the list building that I definitely fall into the defeated warrior category of the sentence. It says defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. So you don't come you don't have a plan first. So no, you, I you, you just you just play what you want to play. You don't build a list based off of strategy and things like that. No, never. I mean, uh, only in a okay. tournament will I ever make like a list ahead of time. Okay. But if we're just like playing a pickup game, I'm just like, hey, I haven't used this unit in a while. Oh, I just painted this unit, and I just throw together a list because the synergies and the, all that crap just does not interest me. I would much rather try to use the force I brought effectively than try all the pregame stuff but honestly right. that is half of the game is making an effective list yeah absolutely. so if you're talking tournaments or to your you know highly competitive things you really cannot bs a list like i tend to do yeah it's it's um you definitely dependent on the situation like you said i don't I generally don't sit around you know, synergizing and thinking of some great list with all the right interactions and things like that, unless it is for, like you said, for a tournament or something like that. Um, but it makes sense, to, you know, if you're if you're planned, if you've got a plan going in, 
um, then you're prepared. Um, then you're probably more likely to win. But, you know, sometimes you're not just trying to win. You're just hanging out having a friendly game. I think, too, it might it might be saying a little bit about your mind state. Like if you go in with the, you know, with the attitude that you're going to win, then you're more likely to to win. I would agree with you. Yeah, that seems right. legitimate. Um, I guess it's how serious it is. And, you know, I'm so not serious about this game is the problem. So I always feel like list building anybody can do. Like I could just go online and copy a list online and that right. requires no skill. I'm always much more worried about being able to use it effectively. So in a way, it doesn't really matter what I bring because whatever I do bring, I want to make sure I can use it well. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. It's like if you need to you need to kind of strategize on the fly and, and make things work, I think that in the long run that's better for you being able to kind of adapt and go with things. I think when people net list and then and there's but and a lot of it is based off, you know, like this one model that kind of synergize pulls everything together. But then I let's say I like alpha strike or snipe that model off the board early and then they just it all goes to poop like quick. <laughs> they don't know what to do. Yeah, you know, actually, this this also goes into the fact that a lot of people can't do narrative games. They they don't have the like you said, the flexibility to make decisions on the fly. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people um, like usually when I, me and you or me and James are, are a lot of people in our group, when we play a game, we just kind of throw tokens down and we're like, oh, this is what we're doing. And you didn't know ahead of time, but right. I've met a lot of people that do not like making their own list. They have to play from the book and they insist that you roll randomly in the book. And the reason why is because their strategy is kind of sub subpar in a lot of cases, not all cases, but they really can't handle things changing. So you know, if they're forced to use their unit in a different way than they're comfortable with, they don't know what to do. So, right. and they've all, a lot of people when when a new general's handbook comes out, they memorize all the um, all the battle plans. That way, when they go to all these tournaments, like they know exactly what to expect yep. and how to play it. Like that, not only do they have a strategy for their army in general, but then they've also got a strategy in mind for for all the different. Um, battle plans i've mm-hmm. seen that before and i'm just like geez like i have to i turn to the everybody's like oh it's the, it's knife to the heart and they just keep they start like setting up and getting ready to play <laughs> i'm like wait wait a second let me uh let me get out my my book here and see what the hell we were doing sorry i have a life <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah it's kind of like whoa like, i don't have time to i don't have time to do all that <laughs> yeah so uh, number six, <laughs> let's go on. Uh, number six is there is no instance of a nation benefiting from prolonged warfare. So obviously this is a little weird of a shoehorn for Warhammer, but I actually have a real point for including this. Okay. Obviously he's talking about long drawn out wars economically and all of that. That's clearly yeah, what he's talking about. Yeah. Right. But, You're looking at like a World War One situation, trench warfare for years and years and how bad it is. Yeah. Yes, but here's a here's my twist on it where it applies to Warhammer. There's there's no instance of an army benefiting from prolonged non-eventful warfare. Warfare. Right. So in other words, if if you and I, how many games have you had where one of your really cool units gets tied up with some chaff and does nothing the entire game? You know? Yeah. Ah. Uh. 
which is frustrating when it does happen. It's like, geez, it just gets stuck in and can't, and you know, you've had big plans for them. You want them to do more than what they're doing. And like you said, they're just stuck in with some like unit of 30 little chaff unit or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's true because, you know, these two units, if you have, or another example would be two similarly equipped units. Like let's say we're both playing beast men. And you've, it's my ungores versus your ungores, and they just fight all five turns and do nothing. Like they just, it's, it doesn't benefit either one of us. One of us at some point should just back out and go do something else with that unit and make them effective. Cause otherwise, they're not doing anything and you're wasting your points for even bringing them in your list. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it doesn't, there's, there's no, yeah, no advantage to. I always hear people talking about like, oh, well, this list is like a turtling list, and I'm like, I don't. What's the? I'm not seeing the advantage here of of doing that. Even if that you're saying it's that's the style of this this build or this list, and I'm like, but why? Yeah, and the yeah. only time those really work is if obviously it's a ranged army, and if it is kill points, because turtling never helps you move out and get objectives. You know? Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I. I I mean, I prefer, I mean, nobody would like, you prefer a faster paced game than a than like turtling or slow paced or whatever, but like, <laughs> but it's like, you gotta, I mean, you move your stuff forward. I've played people before, like, especially my beast man. I'm like, and if, if you, you know, you can run them and charge them still. And if you, and if you do that, then they get all these really, they like get, they get buffed their hits, their attacks. Like it makes them way better. That's just what they do. They run in with their axes and they, and they do their thing. And I've played people like you. Mean you probably should like hold them back and I'm like no, <laughs> so that you can so that you can move your stuff, take the you know it's kind of like there's even sometimes it, if there's a there's a strategy for every type of army and it's like it's if it seems reckless it's like it's that's kind of the way that they play. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? I mean you can hold some units off the map and then bring them in an ambush to kind of take a take a back objective from your opponent's back line or something like that too. But it's like, why am I going to sit 30 beastmen with no range attack? Just sit that unit. Why am I, why am I going to, why am I going to sit them back? I mean, I'm not going to set them headlong into like, uh, a unit of 12, uh, let's see, uh, one of the best storm cat storm retributors, retributors or something. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But like at the same time, it's like, let's get them out here. And, uh, you know, if you fail a charge roll, now I've got 30 men sitting on an objective, maybe in the middle of the middle of the map. So now, I'm, you know, now I'm controlling an objective, too. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, just depends. But, yeah, I don't see the advantage to turtling at, at all, really. Unless you said melee, you know, you sit back. Um, or not melee, uh, shooting. You would sit back and kind of take some shots and wait for them to come to you. But Yeah, but see, that's why I hate kill points, because it just benefits list building. It doesn't actually benefit strategy. Right. And... That's what kill points does is, oh, I can just sit here and shoot you from across the table. Well, to me, that's not, that's point and click. That's not strategy. Like, right. it's just. It's my, yeah, that, yeah, there's no, yeah, there's literally no point in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't All see right, where it would uh, be any fun either, so. Number seven is even the finest sword plunged into salt water will eventually rust. So, <laughs> I feel like this is another principle that is going back into putting units that could do something in a situation where they can't right. you know what i mean it's so whole, like know your role type of thing yeah and yep. just like like i said with um 
you know, if I successfully tie up one of your, let's say, Dragon Ogre units, a unit that can actually do something, and mm -hmm. I tie them up with a bunch of piddly crap, you know, that is essentially your sword rusting because you're you're still gonna fall. And even mm -hmm. if I don't kill you, which I probably won't, you're still you're still failing because you're not using your points effectively and you're not using that unit effectively. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it's it's kind of knowing the place and the time for for all your different models. Each you know all the different models have a different role on the battlefield. Whether they're you know obviously if they're archers, they are sitting back and taking shots uh, mm -hmm. across the board. You know, or if you know they're cat, they're like light light cheap cavalry. You're just you know you're sending them out headlong to 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 gather objectives. You know, flanking and things like that. So it's yeah, like you said, knowing knowing where to send stuff so you're not that sword in the salt water. Yeah, and going back to poker, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. <laughs> oh, the gambler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so number number eight is when, when your opponent is strong, avoid them. If their morale is high, depress them. Seem humble to fill them with conceit. If they are at ease, exhaust them. If they're united, separate them. Attack their weaknesses, emerge to their surprise. So this is a really long one. Yeah, but there's, there's a, a couple there. key things. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whole book in this one yeah. principle. Um, <laughs> there's one thing though, is that um, this first one really sings to me because it says when your opponent is strong, avoid them. And mm. so many people underestimate the uh, uh, the effectiveness of just avoiding a powerful unit, like. Assuming that they're not so fast, they can go across the board far. Like, for instance, this is my famous example. Uh, the Grey Knights for 40k, they've got this very slow unit called Paladins. They've got a lot of hit points, good armor, save, blah, blah, blah. But they're slow. And, and I used to try to hit them head on, you know, I would attack them head on, and blah, 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 and they'd kick my butt. Right. So what I learned is, oh, you just avoid them. If they plop down on the board, you run away and they can't catch you. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, there's no people will though they will read. It's like if they don't have something in combat and they think that well, I guess I got to go over there and fight that. It's like no, let it <laughs> let it stay over there. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's um, any of people. It's, it's always funny too, especially amongst friends. People try to like goad you into it. They're like, oh, you know, you sissy. Like, oh, you scared? Like, come over <laughs> here. And it's like, no. <laughs> It's not being a it's not being a sissy. It's it's strategy. Like why would I why would I basically waste a unit sending them to their death to to melee to end the battle with something that I don't need to. Yep. Especially especially when it's like one big really good model. It's like they're not going to take an objective with one model usually. Mm -hmm. So it's like why yeah why am I going to rush headlong into just getting chewed up when I don't have to. Now, this next one doesn't really apply for Warhammer too much, except maybe Battleshock. It says, if if high, if the morale's high, then depress them. Uh, I'm just going to skip over that because we kind of covered it. But seem humble to fill them with conceit. That's exactly what we were talking about before, like Steve does, intentionally mm -hmm. or unintentionally. You know? Um, he hems and holes and, and makes you feel sorry for him, and then he kicks your butt. So, <laughs> Kind of lulls you into a false sense of security. Yeah, and in my... In my most competitive moments, like with people that I think are a-holes and I want to teach them a lesson, I will pull a lot of these tricks where I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm not very good. I'll act like I don't know my rules and stuff like that. To, and right. there's been a couple 
a couple vengeful scenarios that I'm quite proud of <laughs> where I, I, I beat the crap out of someone because there's like a meta game. There's more than mm-hmm. just rolling dice. There's a, a player to player meta game as well. Um, and if they don't know you, it makes it better. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't say that to you. I'm like, oh, I don't know this. Oh, actually, you know what? I don't I don't remember any of my rules. So that is kind of legit for me to go. <laughs> I don't know my rules because I play done. like get, 27 armies. We'll get to like the fourth battle round. You're like, oh, man, this these guys could have done this thing. That would, and I'm like, man, that, that would have been really good. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I, once I again, that's an example that. That's an example of me not taking it seriously either, because we're just playing a fun game, right. you know. And I forget um, that stuff too. I think too, it depends. I only, you know, I only own two armies that I, for Age of Sigmar, that I play. You know, the Night Haunt was my first, and then um, the Beastmen. So it's like that doesn't happen to me really anymore. But you know, I'm I'm uh, like an hour away from completing the last model in this huge, uh, huge uh, Sylvaneth army, and it's like. I'm going to be doing that a lot. Like I'll get to the end and be like, Oh, I could have done all this stuff. But I, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it, it does work to, uh, it does work when people don't know you. And like, like I said, in some of these vengeful stories of me kicking up, a, a jerks, butt, um, it's usually like when I start getting focused, okay, I'm not going to forget my stuff now. I'm taking it seriously, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, they also say if they're at ease, exhaust them. So, that kind of makes me think of deep striking. Like, you've got this unit all the way in the back, like an artillery unit or something like that, and they're at right. ease. They're like, oh, I, I can't be touched. But yeah, then, you, then you use your call points and bring in a unit within, you know, not, not within nine inches, six inches of your battle edge, and all, right. all of a sudden they're like, oh, crap. So Wait a second. Yeah. yeah. That does always throw people off. I think there's a lot more of that in 40K, I think, than there is in... in uh, Sigmar, at least it used to be. I don't know. It might not be as true now. And that's become a, a bigger. There's most armies now that they've done new uh, new books for. They, there's some kind of like you can move them certain units, you, you know, or you can leave them off the board. And then by the, the end of the second movement phase, you have to bring them on mm-hmm. you know, X amount of inches here and there. But uh, I, when I first started playing, that was the thing that caught me off guard the most. So they'd be like, oh, I can just blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a second, what? And then they would just pop them down behind me. And I'm like, you, yeah, you, you feel like you're from the rear like of the map, you're safe. <laughs> and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you're not. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yep. And uh, this next section, it says, if united, then separate them. And that is actually really good. Uh, something that I've done many, many times in battle is baiting someone. Like, give them a unit that I don't care about, and a sacrificial unit, but bait them. And like you said, a lot of people have the urge to charge even if they shouldn't. And they're like, oh, I need to be in melee now. So if you can surround, you talk about somebody turtling, if you can surround someone on either side and bait them into charging you, um, but if you can bait people into charging you, then you can separate them. And you know how everything is a bubble or an aura Mm -hmm. or something like that. If you can start pulling them apart and getting them out of their auras, you can also hamper their effectiveness too right that kind of 12 inch within 12 inches wholly within 12 you can you get this good buff and you pull them away yeah i can think of a couple people from our local play group that i play well one of them i play pretty often the other one doesn't play as much as he used to but uh where i will do that quite a bit where they just all they focus in they just focus in on where my units all they look at is where my units are Mm -hmm. and just and just move like just tunnel vision and just move towards my units and i'm like i could literally like 
I feel like I can move one of my units like off the table. And he was so focused on where they are, he would just move them off the table. His stuff towards them <laughs> off the table too. It's like like a dodo, uh, right? Or it's n- like not a, a dodo, lem- a lemming, a lemming. Yeah, off the cliff. It's like uh, he just doesn't pay any attention to the objectives or the like the the ramp battle round or it's yeah and it's just all forward nothing nothing back like i think like one time i've seen him retreat to like an objective way back in on his edge of the map that clearly i'm not going to get to and it's like do you want to secure that like you even like you've got models (laughs) just sitting there but it's just all just full steam ahead just wherever your models go i'm gonna track them down and kill them and that's that's great but that's not the point of the game. <laughs> so, all right. So we're on number nine now out of ten. It says one mark of a great soldier is that he will fight on his own terms or not fight at all. And boy, is that true. Mm-hmm. Um, this makes me think of so many times where I was being too polite to speak up, and like sometimes we'll do those bro trips. We'll go somewhere and play at a game store or something like that, and right. the more competitive. I guess cheesier players will immediately take advantage of you being polite and they will put the mission and the terrain and the objectives all in their favor. And Hmm. like, think about it. Like if they're a really shooty army and you're a melee army, they'll put very little terrain on the board. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm, I feel bad saying something because I don't want to sound petty, but I would like some more terrain on this board because it is definitely in your favor, you know? Yeah, I think I used to, uh, at one point, like, I would, if I got there before a person I was going to play, like, at Phoenix Rising, I would, like, well, while I'm waiting, this person's running late, I'll set up the board, you know, I'll set up the terrain, and I'll put up, you know, pick a battle plan and put up the objectives. But I I picked up on, depending on who it was, they'd kind of be like, uh... Like, I think they felt like that's what I was doing, and I was just setting it up. But then when you look at it that way, it, yeah, it could be seen as a way to, like, like you said, take advantage. It's like, oh, well, look at all that, look at all that terrain in your territory that you can't move around, but uh, <laughs> I can fly, I can put some, I can fly over and stuff, yeah, stuff like that. So, one um, way, one way to mitigate that though is that if you set whoever sets up the terrain, then the other person chooses their own deployment. So that if you put the terrain really good on one side and they want that, well, they can choose the deployment. All right. It's like, I'm going to put this huge castle about 15 inches out in front of my deployment zone. And then because I've got Night Haunt, I'm going to put all my models behind it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm just going to move, because I'm ethereal, I'm just going to move through it. This but you can't you can't see me in, <laughs> you can't see me till like turn three. <laughs> yep, and that's why your nickname's Dickhead Josh. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, fly is a really powerful ability. It's it super is. super powerful. I never realized how I you know my first first army I ever had was uh, was the Night Haunt, and I didn't realize at all. I'm like I didn't I didn't know the power I had, and and they, they fly, and that they well, they just move through stuff because they're mm-hmm. ethereal. And I'm like, I had no idea how big of an advantage that was. Even when I played other people, I kind of I kind of saw the advantage. But then once I started playing Beastmen, I was like, wow, that's a huge advantage. These guys yeah. don't don't they got to move. Around. If there's a huge piece of terrain, I mean, I've got to move. It's going to take me a turn just to move around it. Like I'm going to yep. waste an I'm going to waste an action or whatever on a turn by just getting around the getting around the uh, terrain. But so. The um, 
this this principle i also think the the takeaway for that for warhammer players is look no matter what your situation don't be afraid to speak up for yourself when something is clearly not in your favor whether it was intentional or not you know mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't play with much terrain and it may not necessarily be because they're trying to cheat you um right. But at least you should kind of speak up for yourself and not just let people, you know, have walk all over you intentionally or unintentionally, you know? All right. And there's been a couple times where there's some players that uh, they're going to bring some cheesy ass list. And I will eventually I learn to just tell them, you know, I don't really feel like playing against that. <laughs> it's just and just tell them like if it's if it's right. cheesy. I'm just going to play someone else. Like, I'm not, I'm just not playing against that. Yeah. I mean, the whole so. point when it comes right down to it, the whole point is of playing is to have fun. And it's like, if, if that's just, just not going to be fun, then why, you know, why do it? You know, I can think of you know, people I avoid playing. Cause it's like, I know every time I play them, it was going to be cheese on cheese and it wasn't going to be fun at all. It's like, ugh, why am I, and you know, the games are long, you know, it's, it's not like, Oh, this isn't gonna be fun, but it's only an hour. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get through it. It's like three hours later. Like that was a waste of time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely need to be able to to speak up for yourself because I've never had that happen really at Shorehammer, but um, see that more at like some other tournaments where people are more competitive. But so, well, the final one is every battle is won before it's ever fought. And boy, is that true. Mm-hmm. And once again, going back to list building, going back to being prepared and knowing your rules and knowing the opponent's rules and, and knowing how to use your army effectively and the preparation behind it and all of that. Right. But uh, that certainly wins, rings true. Absolutely. Yeah, again, it's yeah, being planned, being prepared, yeah, practicing. That's, you know, not to go all, all uh, sports ball on you, but that's kind of like you hear stuff like, you know, games are won in practice. It's like the... Mm-hmm. the the better you practice and prepare for the game, the, the better you're going to do because you're ready. You know, it's like the, 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 the best, the people that are best at what they do in the world is because they practice and practice and practice. So when they go to actually play, do the real thing, it's like, it's second nature. They don't even have to think about it. They just, it becomes uh, innate rather than on the fly. So it's, it's true. And a lot of these famous athletes, you know, their parents, for whatever reason, one reason or another, we're very driven in, t- like, uh, specifically Tiger Woods comes to mind. Right, where, Tiger Woods, you know, his father, Jordan. Yeah, and they had, well, I didn't know, Michael Jordan's father or parents did that too, where they had him practice and all that as a child. Yeah, there's there's a there's a documentary on ESPN that's they're airing every Sunday for, like, two hours, and it's all about, like, his, Michael Jordan's last season in the NBA for the Bulls, and, mm. um... So anyway, I've been watching that, and yeah, his his he had like a bunch of brothers, and they pretty much like played basketball and beat the shit out of each other, and like all day long. So that's where he kind of got his like competitiveness, his mental toughness, his preparedness, just from from that. Hmm. So. Well, once again, I mean, you know, the the practice and all of that. Um, my uh, my children, you know, when they're drawing pictures or whatever, um, some mm-hmm. of my children have some some innate talent and and some don't have as much as far as drawing. And but I'm like, either way, whether you start, and I've explained this to them before, and I'm like, look, some people are born with innate talents for things, whether it be strategy, creativity, math, whatever. But mm-hmm. it's kind of like a it's kind of like winning like a, a relay race, right? So you've got right. x of x far you want to go. 
Well, the people that start with natural advantages, whether it being stronger, faster, whatever, they actually have a shorter race to run than you do because they get to, they are born with some progress already towards being a professional or the best. But it doesn't mean that you can't still work hard and run faster than they are, even though they have a head start, if that makes any sense at all. Totally. Um, I mean, it's hard work is there's a lot to be said for the hard work and the preparation and it it can you can make a lot of gains on people by by doing that, even if you don't have even if you start behind them as far as innate ability. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much it. I know we spoke for a long time, but um, I, I thought this was kind of interesting. And it is a little surprising how much of this actually does apply to Warhammer, which is a silly game and not, you know, life and death. <laughs> so. Not at all. Not at all. A feudal, feudal war in the age of, I don't know what, <laughs> age of something. I don't know. <laughs> Sigmar. Yes. In China. <laughs> Emperor Sigmar. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, we will talk to you later, Josh. Thanks for being on. All right. Sounds good.